The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey, Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC. A registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with hosts Bruce and Peg. Having a solid financial plan isn't about hitting the hot stock or timing the markets. Today, Bruce and Peg, Peg give you the scoop on the philosophy that can help you keep to your plan, rain or shine. You can text and call them today on our studio line, 651-989-9226. And then, of course, all week, you can ask your questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6-ADVICE or email your money at wealthenhancement.com. Here's Senior Vice President Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Bruce and Peg. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Peg. Hi, Rashini. Uh, great to be with you both, as always. Can't wait for the day where we can actually do it in person again, though. But for now, I'll, I'll take your voices. Hey, hey, Peg, today's topic is something that comes up a lot on the show, either as part of another topic that we're doing or an answer to a question. And we realized we can't talk about this too often because it's feels to me like no matter how often we do it, we still get questions, sometimes even from our own clients, that indicate to me that they still don't fully understand this concept. And I think it's absolutely critical to success. And at the risk of sounding self-serving or immodest, I'm absolutely 100% positive that we're right in the way that we look at this. And not everybody does. There's a lot of good people in the financial services industry. You and I and Wealth Enhancement Group are not the only good financial firms or the only good advisors. But I think this concept is uniquely ours, and it is a differentiator. And I know that we're right. As bad as that might sound, I know it's true. So let's explain to people what we're talking about, uh, comprehensive financial planning, and the importance of what we call the Your Money Matrix. Yeah, good morning, Bruce and Rashini. Uh, one of the things that I think people don't understand is um, how you can simplify this complex industry that we chose to have a career in, Bruce. So when many people out there, many people out there think of the financial world and we talk about comprehensive planning and actually we illustrate on this radio show every week how comprehensive and complex and your quote of you don't know what you don't know which should really scare the bejeebies out of people because there's so much to know uh, we spend a great amount of hours per week uh, keeping up on every change and then um, being knowledgeable about uh, 
you know, investments and planning and tax and estate planning and all of those things. Well, I had to start with that because what we have done is created this year money matrix. And decades ago, uh, the theme was how do we simplify this complex industry that we're in and have it make sense to the client? Well, I think sometimes, Bruce, that um, outsiders that might look into this year money matrix without uh, kind of going through the process like we do with clients think, oh, that's super simple. What, how could that possibly help you coach your clients? Well, let me start with what is it? And we often talk about a tic-tac-toe box, only that most listeners would be able to understand what that is. It's just, you know, two lines down, two lines across, and it creates nine boxes. And your tic-tac-toe box is on one piece of paper. So then what we show the client, and we actually have them write this out themselves, because there's no better way to learn than having um, somebody participate in the learning. So at the top, we say on the first column, put the word taxable. Second column, tax deferred, third column, tax advantaged. Now you're not done because on the left side, the first column, we're going to ask you to put short term, then medium term, and long term. Then we organize, um, and this is a big first step, we organize what does the client currently own and what box should we put it in? So let me give you an example. Most listeners out there have money market or bank savings. The first column, the way I clue my clients in is say, if you get a 1099 in the mail each and every tax year, it probably belongs under this column. Well, bank accounts send you a 1099. When would you utilize that bank account? Probably in the short term. So that goes into that box. Then there's lots of clients that own stock outright. They might have bought Apple. They might have bought Walmart. You know, they might have bought some kind of fund. And it sends a 1099 because there's capital gains and dividends. Well, if it's stock related, it goes into that very lowest box long term under the taxable column. Then um, tax deferred, that's all of the money that you have big IOU to the IRS. It's your 401k, it's your 403b, it might be an annuity that you purchased. You're just deferring, you know, either the principal and the growth or just the growth. And then the last one, my favorite one, is the tax advantaged. Uh, that would be some tax preference when it uh, comes to the dividends or capital gains. And that would include municipal bonds, uh, Roth IRAs, and whole life insurance, you know, lots of other types of insurance. But um, so then as a conclusion, uh, once we have that all filled out, Bruce, then we can take a look at it and, and start asking about their goals and their values and, and um, and are they positioned correctly? What kind of income do you need? And so it's a great starter and an organizer. And the reason we do it, because I get asked this a lot yet, you know, why do you do this? 
And the reason we do this is because it works. And, you know, the example that I always give is, and, and that all the listeners can relate to, probably the worst economic period that most of our listeners remember or lived through was the, the crash of 2008. Technically, it started in the fall of 2007, and we hit bottom in the spring of 2009, about 18 months from, say, October of 07 to March of 09. And most of our listeners either weren't alive yet in the Great Depression that started in 29, or they were kids. They don't, you know, didn't have economic impact on them that they maybe remember. But everybody remembers 2008. So what I tell people all the time, by taking this approach, the, the Your Money Matrix, and keeping your long money long, you don't have to guess or know what the stock market will do tomorrow or this week or next month. It doesn't matter. We believe that long-term, history tells us that 10 years or longer, 12 years, 15 years, stock markets go up. And you keep your long money long. But money, as you said, when you define short-term, money that you think you need or you know that you will need soon, that money has no business in stocks. So when people talk about the stock market going down and they lost money, you only lose money if you sell when the market's down. And the reason we do the Your Money Matrix is so nobody has to sell their stocks to get income when the market's down. If stocks are way up and they need income, they can sell stocks and take winnings off the table and lock in their gains. But in 2008, when the market was down, they had another source of income. If they were retired, they could go to their short-term bucket and use that money, and they did not have to sell stocks. So people probably don't remember this, Peg. I know you do. In October of 2007, the Dow was trading at a little over 14000 By March of 2009, it's down to 6500 and some change. So it's down like 60% in 18 months, and people were terrified. And look, our clients were nervous too. I don't need to imply that wealth enhancement clients were immune to the fear that was striking the global economy. They were nervous also, but I sat in review meeting after review meeting and said, look, your, your portfolio is down, but it's your long-term money that you had no intention of spending anytime soon anyway. And you've got cash that you can use to maintain lifestyle. So now you look at where the Dow is today, and it's at 34,000. It's 20,000 points higher than where it was at the beginning of this market retraction. So if you stayed the course, if you kept your long-term money in stocks, you have way more money today probably than you did in 07 or 09. So why do we do this? Because it works. In 2009, I didn't have any clients saying, well, I got to go back to work. I know I retired, but I'm going to run out of money. I need a job. Or I didn't have any clients that gifted to their kids or tithed to their church, stopped gifting or stopped tithing. They, they still did it. My snowbirds still went south for the winter. They had a little bit less money in 2009 than they did in 2007, but nobody changed their lifestyle. And a few short years after that, they were back ahead of where they were in 2007. This concept works, and you don't have to know what the market's going to do in the short term. And let's be honest, nobody knows that anyway. They might pretend that they do, but nobody does. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Bruce, um, what I what I believe this does, in a nutshell, is 
it actually, what you just described, the person sitting on the other side of the table, which is our client, they have to have the confidence that they can continue the lifestyle that they have envisioned. Um, and, and they also have to have the confidence that their money is diversified by way of tax, you know, for the long term. They have to have the confidence that if the market does crash, that they actually don't have to change what they're doing and all their wishes and wants and the values of their family. Well, how do you do that? By organizing your assets on here and taking a three-prong approach when you're looking at this. And that is in your accumulation phase, when you're saving money, yes, we all want to defer money, pay the least tax immediately, and cross our fingers and hope for the best that that was the right idea. Well, maybe you take your matrix and say, yeah, I can contribute to my company plan, but possibly you know, up to the match and then go save in the after tax, the taxable bucket, or in tax advantage, possibly a Roth or some municipal bonds, because what we've seen, Bruce, is the really important phase is the distribution phase. Now you've retired. People are asking Wealth Enhancement Group to create paychecks for the rest of their lives. And, and you need to have some tax diversity at that point, or you better have a lot more money because when you start to create these paychecks, I just did a comprehensive plan review the other day, and I have to take 32% tax to net the dollars <clears throat> that this couple wants. Well, the good news is they've been with us for 20 years. We've already planned in this matrix and they've accumulated enough that um, the plan works. And then lastly, the confidence again. Bruce, when the market goes up and down, I actually you know, I have emotion as well. And when it goes up, I'm excited. And when it goes down, I'm very much less excited, but because I know that my matrix is actually going to work in good times and bad, it gives me the confidence to stay put. But if you don't have an illustration like this and you don't have buckets coded and you don't have the confidence that you can create a paycheck for the rest of your life or leave a legacy for your kids, then you need something. And we think this simplistic tool helps. So that's why Bruce keeps saying, it works. For decades, we've shown this to people. And then lastly, I want to add this. Picture your tic-tac-toe box, and now we start putting years on it. 2021, 2022, jump to 2030. We're actually creating this, these paychecks on this matrix to illustrate where is your income going to come from? Is it short-term? Is it long-term? Is it a combination of the short, medium, and long and clients like that. They like to see the future. Now, will we absolutely do exactly what we wrote on there that particular day? Probably not. But at least they know, you know, the way we think and how we're going to help them make sure that their paychecks last for the rest of their lives. Um, that's brilliant stuff, Peg. I want to make one more key point, and then I know Rashini's got a bunch of texts for us. But when we talk about, and again, Part of, part of our job, a big part of our job, is helping people have the retirement that they want, that they dream of, without fear of running out of money. So you talked about 
uh, the accumulation phase. That's saving and investing for the future, for your retirement. That happens while you're working. But then you retire, and now you're going to take distributions. And most people, again, in our space, don't really coach clients on how to spend their money. Everybody in our industry is good at the accumulation part, helping them grow it. But not everybody is very good at helping them determine the best way to spend it. And that's part of what we do proactively. And then the third part that you just briefly mentioned is when you leave this world, whatever's left, where do you want it to go? And how do you get it there efficiently and effectively? Some people call that estate planning. We call it legacy planning or wealth transfer. We also help them with that. But back to the to, to taxes, you know, you, you started out our discussion that everybody wants to defer taxes, and everybody's looking at the current tax year. But what we do is long-range forecasting to say, we want you to pay the least amount of tax possible over your lifetime. And sometimes that might mean paying more this year than you would have to, but then you're going to pay a lot less in the future. So, again, we go to the Your Money Matrix, and we talk about things like, Take your income from your IRA. Oh, why would I do that? It's taxable. Yes, but your other sources of income put you in a 12% federal tax bracket. We'll take income from the IRA until we soak up all of the 12% bracket. When we bump into the bottom of the 22, we'll stop. And if you still need more income, we'll take it someplace else. You say, well, I don't even need income this year. Why would I take it out if I don't need it? We might say, we'll take it out anyway. If you don't need it for lifestyle, let's pay the taxes at 12% because it'll never probably be lower than that. And then let's reinvest it in a Roth IRA and do a so-called Roth conversion. So um, everything that we do strategically starts with where is the money? Where should it be? How do we make changes? And now when we retire, how are we going to decide what is the smartest money to spend first? And it's a combination of investment results and tax consequences, but we give people options. A lot of people put all their money in their 401k, and now when they take income, they don't have any options because that's the only place they have money. So there's probably a couple more points we we can make, but maybe with the listeners' questions, we'll get to those. Rashini, let's go ahead and grab a text. Right. So this person says, should everyone or who should have a spousal trust? Peg's spousal trust. Yeah, a spousal trust is a type of trust that, uh, okay, so we have what we call death taxes. And death taxes are within your estate planning, depending on what your net worth is at death, the government um, can actually tax that. We currently all have a free amount that we can die with, and basically federally right now it's 11500000 or something. But the proposal that's coming from Biden is that that would, that would drop to $3.5 million apiece. So as a family unit uh, joint, you'd have $7 million. Well, if you're concerned because you have more than that, you, these trusts help you put money outside your your state with still gaining some control. It is complex, but um, I've actually implemented quite a few of these, uh, and it's all, you know, it's up, it's in the law. It's not like you're doing something that's outside the law. And 
This year, Bruce, because it's going to go down possibly dramatically, uh, this spousal trust, you're going to hear a lot more about it because it's something where you could still exchange with your husband and wife or your joint tenant and have access to the money. God forbid you still need it. You're not giving it away, you know, uh, to the point where you don't have access. So a couple quick thoughts, um, and I, I don't think we're going to try to sneak another text in. We've got uh, less than two minutes left in this segment. But um, so, it, it, so spousal trust, it's fair to say, would be for high net worth people that might be subjected to estate taxes, and it's a, it's a planning strategy. But then the other thing, Peg, we should mention, uh, maybe you want to clarify, what you just quoted was the federal level. That, that varies from state to state. In the state of Minnesota, where this show originates, that, that figure is a lot smaller. Um, and also explain how, again, it's an individual thing. It's not a, a, a per-couple thing. Everybody has an individual exclusion, and that's also an important part of the planning process. Yeah, so in the state of Minnesota where we reside, uh, we can each die with $3 million. And every state is different, and it's always a moving target. I mean, during our career, the, these amounts have changed dramatically. And at one point in my career, we, we only had 675000 that we could die with. Now it's $11,500,000 um, federal. So you need to keep track of that. But Bruce, it is definitely for the high net worth clients because if you're under right now, if you're under three and a half million or seven million joint in, in Minnesota, if you're under six million, then you wouldn't have to use some of these additional trusts. All right. When we are running up against the break, I want to remind people, if you call us, we will definitely get to you and we will do our best to get to you if you text us. The number for both, 651-989-9226. Peg and Bruce will continue to answer your questions. Call us or text us, 651-989-9226. When we get we are back. Rashini Rajkumar here along with your hosts, Bruce and Peg from Wealth Enhancement Group. And lots of texts coming in. Your phone calls and texts are welcome. Call us at 651-989-9226. Bruce and Peg, here's uh, an interesting one. Is it difficult to transfer long-held annuities to a new investment company? Hey, thanks, Rashini, and thanks for uh, sticking with us, everybody. Listeners, we appreciate all your questions. Peg annuities, transferring. Yes, yeah, so long-held annuities. One of the features of annuities is that you can defer the interest or the gain, if you will, uh, while you hold the annuity. One of the things you have to be careful of is if you want to transfer, the original new annuity was purchased in someone's name, you know, the current owner. And a way that you could transfer that to another annuity is by doing what's called a 1035 exchange. And then you can actually defer that growth and not pay tax uh, to make that change. If indeed you wanted to change ownership or um, gift the annuity to someone, then that actually would, then all the gains would be immediately taxable. Now, some companies out there will accept the transfer and some companies say, no, we're not going to take that, you know, um, as a annuity that would transfer. So the, so the steps are, uh, I would talk with a financial um, provider, a financial advisor, to see if you could transfer it. 
and then do the legwork as to where can you transfer this successfully without having to pay tax and um, have it have it buy what you want to buy because there's so many different types of annuities out there. Yeah, Peg, I want to pick up just quickly on the, on the point that you made, and that's a great explanation. Um, you know, the, the idea that an annuity to some degree looks and smells and acts like an IRA. You, 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 you didn't get a deduction for your contribution, but you defer the taxes on the gains until you actually take a withdrawal, just like an IRA. Um, but I've had people before come to me and say, I, I have this annuity and I've had it a really long time. And another advisor told me it was a bad investment and I should get rid of it and put it in, I don't know, mutual funds. And I, I point out, I, I, I say, well, I'm not going to say if that was a good or a bad idea to get the annuity, but to, to move it into something other than an annuity, did they also explain to you that now you're going to pay the tax on all the gain all in one year? And they're like, well, no, they didn't tell me that. So you need to be aware. Maybe that's okay with you, but I would say most of the time that's not something we would advise we would, we might even say maybe that's not a great annuity, but you've held it long enough now that keeping it makes the most sense. We're a fiduciary. We must give our best possible advice. Or like you said, maybe doing a 1035 to a more client friendly uh, annuity. And, and they tend to be the newer they are. They tend to be more consumer, more client friendly than they were 10, 15 and 20 years ago. So. Absolutely, don't make a rash decision. Get some help and determine what your best options are and make sure if you're going to make that transfer or make that change, you do the best thing for yourself that you can. All right. This listener asks, what is the real advantage of waiting until 70 to draw Social Security? My eligibility age was 66. I plan on starting at 68. I would prefer not to draw down savings for two years. I would leave it to perform in my accounts. How many years to break even if I start at 68 versus 70? This is a Thanks, Rashini. This is a great question. Um, uh, Peg, I'm going to set you up here a little bit to just explain to people that your, your, your ability to draw your Social Security benefit, you basically have an eight-year window from age 62 to age 70. Now, some people would say, why wouldn't I take it at 62? Well, the sooner you take it, the smaller the benefit is. Um, by waiting longer, the number gets higher, but you get it for less years. So the texter's question about where is the crossover point that's, that's the magic number. That's the $64,000 question. There's also something called full retirement age. This person mentioned they didn't use that term, but that's what they meant when they said 66. That's their full retirement age. And your full retirement age is driven by what your birthday is. It's either 66 or 66 in some months, or if you were born in 1960 or later, your full retirement age is 67. From full retirement age until age 70, the benefit actually appreciates by 8% per year. So when they ask the question, why should I wait until 70? Peg, not everybody should. This is a calculation or an analysis that we do. Yes, it is. And it's actually more complex than people think it may be. And um, the other thing I heard with the text was, I don't really want to take two years worth of my savings out to get to age 70. 
So I, I heard that loud and clear, which means, yep. <laughs> um, which means, you know, yeah, if something were to happen to you, your your beneficiaries would get two years less uh, of an inheritance because you didn't take your social security. Social Security and Social Security is not something that has a beneficiary unless it's your spouse, and that would just be then the higher of the two. So you're not going to continue to get two Social Securities if one of you passes away, and um, and so reasons to wait to 70 or what's the break-even age? Um, break-even ages uh, for full retirement age at 66 years old. Social Security, um, on their website, they have a great, uh, just a chart that shows, you know, if you take it at 62, you take it at 66, you take it at 70 years old. But um, if you're 68 right now and you take it, uh, the break-even age is 83 years old. So if you feel like you're going to live beyond 83 years old, then it might be a good idea to, to wait and take it at 70 because you're going to get those plus eight percenters. At 69, just to give you an idea, uh, 84 years old. So you get one more year to break even. But it's usually, Bruce, it's somewhere between 80 years old and 84 years old. Uh, we have this calculator to get very precise for people so that they can make good decisions. And then once again, uh, there's other things that you can do um, to, to play off like your joint or your spouse that makes sense uh, for some of our clients. Yeah, and I always tell clients, Peg, there's a lot of information about you that we know, and, and knowing that information is part of this analysis. But this analysis will never and can never be an exact science because we're missing one crucial piece of information. We don't know exactly when you're going to die. So we can enhance the chances of clients getting it right and maximizing their benefits, but without a crystal ball to know when they're going to die, it's never going to be perfect, but we can help them uh, improve their chances of getting it right. Of course, you can call and text Bruce and Peg in our remaining time together, 651-989-9226. Okay, Peg and Bruce, get ready for this one. Some interesting details, but I know they've got some good questions here. This couple, we have approximately 950000 in IRAs, 401ks, and 75000 in Roth. We are 60 and 56 years young. Our combined income, 100000 Our mortgage, 115000 at 4% with 12 years left. We have no other loans or credit card bills. We would like to pay off our house, do some updating estimated at 100000 We plan to retire in the home. What would be the best approach to accomplish this? We are not in favor of refinancing or taking out any loans. Um, boy, it's a very, it's a very good, fair question. And Rashini, I was trying to do, write down the numbers as fast as I could. But um, I, I don't know that we need specific numbers. We, uh, there's a lot of different um, avenues or roads that, that we can take on this one. Peg, you want to go first? Yeah, I think the first question that I kind of heard was, should I pay off my mortgage now? You know, I'm 50 years old, 56 years old. I have IRAs, which is a ton of deferred assets. Uh, 75000 in a Roth. Not, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of money just sitting in the bank. Do you pay that off? 
And then secondly, I heard is, hey, even if we pay this off, we actually want to do another 100000 in home improvements uh, along the way. You know, how do we fund that? And then lastly, I don't really want to borrow any money. So, so, uh, so yeah, so I, I think I understood it. But the first thing is, is, is through your cash flow. Um, you know, my thought is if your interest rate is low on that primary mortgage, you know, I probably would just let that one go. You could continue. You could also just prepay on some of it if you want to get accelerated to a shorter time frame than 12 years. And then also I feel like you could, this home improvement, you could do that out of cash flow as well. Um, doesn't look like they have a ton of money extra if they're grossing 100000 I don't know what the lifestyle looks like. But all in all, I think they've been great savers, Bruce. I mean, they have a million dollars plus. The negative of that is a lot of it has an IOU to the IRS, and they're looking to do things today probably to prepare for retirement one day. So that was my thought. Just keep paying on that mortgage, maybe accelerating with a, a couple extra payments, and then try to do the, the house improvement out of cash flow. Yeah, I agree with everything Peg said. And I agree, too, that the, the texter has done a great job of saving and investing money. Um, we would like to, if they can, as they head down the home stretch before they retire, uh, get more uh, tax advantage money, more Roth. They are a little overweighted in uh, qualified money or money that's got you know a ticking time bomb of taxes due when you take the withdrawal. So overall, they've, they've done really, really well. The part about the tax, uh, Rashini and Peg, that, that I, as an advisor, I kind of take issue with. So sometimes clients pose a scenario, and they want you to accept the premise of their scenario, but I don't. And that's the case here. They said, we don't want to borrow money. We don't want to use debt. Well, first of all, a primary mortgage at 4% right now, that, that interest rate is probably high. You probably could do a refi and get that interest rate down. Number two, what they want to do, and it's admirable, they don't want to borrow money. I get that. Um, but what they want to do, unless they have a, a boatload of cash sitting in the bank, is just not feasible because the Roth IRA gives tax-free treatment if, if you've had it for at least five years or you're 59 and a half years old or older, whichever is longer. So if you've had the Roth for more than five years, but you're not 59 and a half yet, you don't want to take a withdrawal out of there. And your regular qualified money, your traditional IRAs, traditional 401ks, to take withdrawals out of that to pay for your home improvement or to pay off your loan, you not only have the lost opportunity cost of losing what is probably a much higher rate of return than the cost of the debt service, but you're going to get whacked with taxes when you take that money out. And again, you need to be 59 and a half or older or there's an additional penalty. So I just don't see them being able to do what they want to do, which is make these improvements, get rid of this debt, and not use loans and to try to do it with, with their own capital unless they do it, like you said, Peg, gradually over a long period of time. Unless, and that's what we don't know, how much cash is just sitting around not in an IRA, not in a Roth IRA in the bank, then it's a different story. But I, I, 
uh, unfortunately, folks, whoever wrote that, I just don't accept that your premise that not using a loan is the best way to do it. Yeah. Well, my recommendation is they reach out to, to Peg and Bruce during the week and give a little more detail, uh, because really, it really does need someone like either of you uh, to walk them through a few more things. This listener says, I'm a widow and can collect on my husband's Social Security this December. Since I can collect on my own at my full retirement age and the amounts are nearly identical, is there any reason to wait to collect on my husband's SS at the earliest possible date? Peg, I, I need you to answer this because I have to admit, I always get confused on spousal Social Security options. I, I think I know the answer, but I'm not 100% sure. You must have this one. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I see this in our practice quite a bit where um, people have lost their spouse. And there is what's called a widower's benefit and a widower's benefit is that you can start taking a benefit at 60 years old based on the person that had passed away. And then you can also continue to grow yours until you want to change it. And so I highly encourage that my clients take it right at 60. Now, there's some cases where they have income that's so high and it'll be all lost and, and um because of taxation, but very few times. So um, this person's asking, should I take it? I, 99% of the time, I tell the people just to take it because yours is actually going to grow. So to me, it's almost kind of like free money um, and and take it as early as you can. All right. This person says, hi, love the show. How can we plan for Biden's tax rate hike? <laughs> we're we're getting we're getting that question a, a lot, Peg. Actually, our roundtable uh, conversation a week ago was nothing but talking about this, and we actually anticipated it all of last year as well, and started pre-planning for <clears throat> the possibility that this would happen. Uh, we we do believe there is going to be some kind of reform, and so our planning department uh, is actually creating kind of a checklist for us with our clients that have high net worth and high income uh, with strategies what to do. Um, so a lot of it is is okay. So it, 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 they're talking about this four hundred thousand income level. And they're talking about capital gains. Sometimes people with 400000 not quite, you have to have a little bit higher to get into the 20% capital gains, changing that to 39.6. That's dramatic. And then also lessening the um, itemized deductions, if you still itemize, uh, in the old way that we used to do uh, itemization before Trump, uh, people who had higher income got capped at how much they could itemize. They'd actually get 15% off the top that you weren't able to write off. So how do we prepare for that? Well, there's not a ton that you can do immediately now other than we don't think there's going to be a change this year. So it, I, I would say everyone out there who has high income, high capital gains, um, uh, you know, we have this, we talked about spousal trusts in the first part of the show. 
Wealth Enhancement Group just created a great booklet on understanding spousal trusts. We believe we will be very busy this year. Attorneys will be very busy this year with high net worth people trying to uh, take advantage of maybe the last year. This capital gains thing is huge. So if you have positions in in stocks or or um, private equity um, holdings in companies or whatever, I think that's going to force people to try to uh, do something this year. So I guess my my bottom line is utilize 2021 to get help. You know, um, get opinions on how could you rearrange your assets before 2022. All right, Peg and Bruce, we are running up against the clock, but Steve has called from Sock Center. Steve, I just ask that you keep your question brief. Thanks for calling. Yes, uh, my question is uh, I have roughly 600000 in fixed money, and all of my money is pretty much between 3 and 4%. And I had two financial advisors tell me that I need to get into cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. How does that compare to precious metals? Uh, is that too risky for me at age 73? Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your call. Peg? Uh, I, I personally would not do it. I, I think it's super risky, but um, there's others that think that that's the only way to go as we look at the structure today of the world. Uh, I think in the future things will change, but all we're looking at is the volatility of those currencies right now, and it would be way too risky for me to incorporate that into our plans. Here's the key point, I think, Steve and listeners and Peg and Rustini, and this even goes back to the first half of the show in, our, in the Your Money Matrix. I think many people, the consuming public, and many people in our industry are, are incorrect in how they want to go about investing. And what I mean by that, everybody would say, I want to get the highest rate of return I can. Or your advisor would say, I want to try to get you the highest rate of return we can. And that's why they might say something like, get out of your, your fixed income safe investments and buy cryptocurrency. But I don't think getting the highest rate of return that you can should be the goal. The goal should be to get the rate of return that you need to achieve the lifestyle you want based on your core values, your goals and objectives, what's important to you, to get the rate of return that you need with the least amount of risk possible. And, Steve, you might be doing that right now with all of your fixed interest stuff. You might not need to make any changes, and I'd love to talk about this more, but Rashini, I know we're up against the clock. We are. You know, that cryptocurrency, though, is such a hot topic. Maybe we could explore that in the future. Peg and Bruce, great answers today, great questions from our listeners. We always appreciate that. We will be back next Sunday with more Your Money, and you can call and text us. Of course, during the week, always call Peg and Bruce at 888-6ADVICE or email them your money at wealthenhancement.com. Really fabulous information. I know we all learned a lot. Peg and Bruce, have a great week. Listeners, have a great week. And remember to look up Peg and Bruce at Wealth Enhancement Group. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey, Inc.